Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want to start with a picture. Do we have this picture? This is a picture of my son, Max, who's five. This is a field right next to our house, my parents' house back in Northern Ireland. It's a barley field, and we were home there back last summer, and uh, it was one afternoon. My mom's like, quick, quick, get out of the house. I was like, what? There's a combine harvester has shown up to harvest the barley field. I was like, all right, mom, chill out. It's not, you know, come on. She's like, Max will love it. Come on, get him. So we all rushed out next to the house to see this combine harvester go past. And I mean, the picture doesn't do it justice. I mean, the, the whole combine harvester isn't actually in shot. But I don't know if you've ever been up close to a combine harvester. It's massive. I mean, it's the biggest of all farm machinery. It's incredibly loud. It's dusty. There's all these different working parts all doing different things at the same time Max was just like whoa and he just stood there like transfixed for about 10 minutes like just is this this looks like a spaceship you know it's like what is this kind of thing and and we kind of watched as I kind of went round the field around the edge and and just licked up all this barley really quickly and it was just a really interesting thing to see and I, I was actually I got to chat with the guy who owns the field afterwards and he was telling me all about what it takes to grow barley and how they sow it and how they have to decide when to sow it and how to sow it. And then the amount of deliberation there is in, in when to decide when to harvest. You know, it can't be too cold. It can't be too warm. It can't be too wet. It can't be too dry. You have to have a certain number of days of good weather. I mean, it's, it's a real science, really, really interesting. It was really interesting just to chat to him about that. And this morning, I want to talk to you about something similar because Jesus actually used a similar picture of Wheat, which is very similar to barley, being harvested to describe what the kingdom of God is like in the Bible. But the main difference, though, is that in Jesus' story, just after the wheat seeds had been sown in the field, some nasty person, and we're going to call them what they are, a nasty person, came at night and sowed some weed seeds among the wheat, sowed some weeds among the wheat. So the weeds and the wheat grew up together. That's what happened. You had this field which was sown with wheat and all of a sudden there's all these weeds have been sown amongst it and they grow up together. And that's what we're going to look at today, the kingdom, because that's what the wheat represents, the kingdom among the weeds. Now, this morning, we're continuing the Kingdom of Heaven series, which I believe you've been doing over this last month or so. Tell me that's right. Yes, okay, that's good. I haven't just, haven't just you know, made that up. So you've been going through that over the last few months, looking at basically what the kingdom of heaven is from the book of Matthew. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. You can follow along in your Bibles. It will appear uh, behind us on the screen as well, so you can follow that along as well. And basically, this is the story Jesus tells about the kingdom of God being like wheat among weeds. Now, question, and I want a show of hands here. Hands up here, who is a farmer? Okay, tumbleweed. I wasn't expecting it. One person, we have one farmer. Yes, okay. You will probably get this sermon more than everybody else. Um, Hands up, who is like the son of a farmer from a farming background? Anyone? Oh, we have a few... 
we have a son of a farmer. Okay, we've got, we've got, we've got four son of, you know, children of farmers have grown up in a farming background. Everybody else, I basically am assuming you're just nice suburban city people who the most you know about farming is, you know, looking at your garden every now and again. Is that, would that be right? That would be fair enough. Okay, so I know what I've got here, okay? If I was preaching this sermon in my church back in Northern Ireland, where I've came from, half the church are farmers, you know, it's just that culture. And, and with Jesus, when Jesus, you know, we'll, we'll read the passage now, when Jesus was using this metaphor to describe what the kingdom of God was like, he used this metaphor because everybody who was there listening to him were farmers or knew about far, farming or were from farming backgrounds. And that's why he used this message, this metaphor. For us, city people, it's a little bit difficult. So a little bit more difficult because we don't get the, the kind of things he used so much. So what I'm going to do when I read the passage, I'm going to just jump in a few times, explain a few things just to get you city suburban people up to speed so that you're not going like, what is going on here? What is wheat? What are we even, you know, just so we know where we're going. Okay. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Let's read together. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. Now, the weed that would have been sown here was a weed called darnel. Okay, darnel. Okay, I don't know if we've got a picture of it. Yeah, we've got a picture here. So that's what darnel is. Now, darnel is a poisonous weed. Now, here's the nasty thing about sowing darnel, not just any other weed, but darnel as the weed. Darnel looks very, very similar to wheat. And actually, it's, it's difficult to, 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 to differentiate between the two of them, especially when it's growing up. When it's mature, you can, dis, you can differentiate between the two. But when it's growing up, it's quite difficult to figure out what's darnel and what is wheat. That's the nasty thing about sowing darnel amongst wheat. Now, everybody would have known that's the weed we're talking about here, okay? Now, the owner's servants came to him, verse 27, and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Wheat. Where then did the weeds, the darnel, come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Now, it actually wasn't uncommon for this to happen back then. Perhaps some of the people listening to the story had actually experienced this happen to them when they sowed their wheat fields. If someone didn't like you, a really good way for them to get revenge on you was basically to go at nighttime after, just after you'd sowed your wheat field and just quietly sow some darnel weeds. It was a really nasty way to get back at you because what would happen is they'd grow up and you'd have to leave them to harvest time and then spend way more time sorting the wheat from the weeds. And actually back then we know that there was specific Roman laws and legislation against this. So if you got caught doing this, you got sent to jail back then. This was a, a commonly known bad thing you could do against someone else. Let's continue. Verse 28, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Now, that's a commonly known thing back then, that the, the, the roots of darnel and the weed would get entangled. So if you pulled one up, the other one came up. Verse 30, let them grow together, the owner said, until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
So Jesus shares this parable. Then he shares a few more parables. He's in parable sharing mode, Jesus, at this point. But then later, after the crowds had all gone away, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, explain to us the one with the weeds. Come on, they didn't ask about any of the others. Explain to us the one with the weeds. We want to know what that means. And Jesus, and this is really helpful if you're preaching a sermon on this, because Jesus really does your hard work for you here. Jesus basically explains the parable, which we read in Matthew 13, verses 37 to 43. Jesus says this, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Jesus, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom, believers, followers of God. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever is ears, let them hear. So Jesus has pretty much preached my sermon for me there. He's pretty much given us exactly what everything means in this parable. So I was thinking, there's not loads for me to say right now. I could probably just sit down. Some of you would probably be happy enough if I just sat down right now, wouldn't you? would be like, okay, short service, good. Um, but I just thought what I'd do, I mean, that is what the kingdom of, of God is, is about. That's what Jesus is saying. It's, it's God's kingdom people are planted in a, sea, in a field, like God plants them there. And then, but we have these weeds, these people who are opposed to God are also in amongst us as well. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's we're amongst other people who aren't for God, who are opposed to God. And, and we live in that world. We live in the midst of that reality. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Now, I was just thinking about what I wanted to share really with you off the back of this. And I think for me, there's, there's two big implications, I think, from this passage for us as believers. And I think the first is for us that we need to stay engaged. We need to stay engaged. Now, there's a few aspects of that which I'll explain. And the second thing I want to share from this, which is an implication from this passage, is about looking forward to the harvest. You know, as believers, let's look forward to the harvest. So I'm going to just talk about those two things. Then I will actually sit down and we'll be done. But firstly, stay engaged. Now, when I went to university uh, a while ago, shall we say, uh, I went to University of Aberdeen. And uh, in my first year at uni, uh, I had loads of friends who weren't Christians. All the, all the people in my halls, got to know them really well. I had some Christian friends as well. I went to the Christian Union. I went to church. But most of my friends were not Christians. And then gradually over the years at uni, over the four years I was at uni, I gradually become, hung out less with my non-Christian friends and more with Christian friends. Until at the end of my time at university, almost all my friends were Christians and hardly any of them were non-Christians. Okay? I essentially kind of gradually, without thinking, just got into a bit of a holy huddle, really. All my friends were Christians. Now, another friend of mine who was at the same university as me, she actually went to the same school as me and then went to the same university. She's from Northern Ireland. She had lots of Christian friends as well at the start of uni, but gradually, she did the opposite. She gradually began to hang out with more and more of her non-Christian friends. Eventually, she got a non-Christian boyfriend and stopped going to church that regularly and eventually stopped going all together. And basically, by the end of uni, I mean, to all intents and purposes, she just walked away from it all. She didn't disagree with it. She just wasn't, she wasn't living a life that was distinctly Christian at all. And when it comes to living in the world as Christians, we all 
veer towards one of two places. We either retreat into a Christian holy huddle, which is a bit like what I did at uni, or we, or we veer towards doing that. Or on the other hand, we just become so like the world until there's just nothing distinctive about us as Christians, which is a bit like what my friend did. And this parable really helps us to see that the, the wheat is, is meant to be amongst the weeds. Verse 30 says they're to grow together. The wheat is meant to be amongst the weeds, but yet it needs to be distinct. And that's how we as believers are to be in the world. You may have heard the phrase, in the world, not of the world. Have we heard of that? That's what we're to be amongst the weeds, but yet distinct from them. And the way we do that, the way we are in the world, but not of the world, is to stay engaged. We're to stay engaged with the Lord, connected with him, the vine, but also we're to stay engaged with the world around us. I remember hearing one person describe it, like when they're having their quiet time, they say, look, when I pray, I have the newspaper in one hand and I have the Bible in the other hand. And what they're basically saying is it's really important that I'm connected with God and his word, but also that I'm aware of what's going on in the world. So I'm engaged with both of those things. And I'm just going to chat about both of those, really. How do we stay engaged with the Lord and how do we stay engaged with the world? For me, the things that help me stay engaged with the Lord, they might be similar to you, um, is worship times, worship with other believers, like here on a Sunday we had a worship time at our staff prayer meeting on Friday morning, which I just loved. You can just, you don't have the pressure of being a church and if something goes wrong, it's your responsibility. You know, you can just actually worship or you might not, but you can just, it was lovely. You know, I thought God speak to me, share a few words with me. That really helps me stay engaged with God. Quiet times, I often have my quiet time in the morning, read the Bible, pray, just ask God what he's speaking to me about. That really helps me stay engaged. Also reading good Christian books helps me stay engaged with God. Prayer, uh, often I'll pray in the evenings after I've got the kids to bed. I'll be honest, a lot of the time I'm so tired. My prayer is I sit down in a seat and I'm just like, God, I'm here. I'm here, you know, <laughs> that like, you know, and you know, those prayers are all right. There's some people nodding, I'm like, yeah, I get you, you know, and, I'm, and then I'm like, I don't know what to say, you know, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer, that's going to cover a lot of bases, so I'm going to do that. And I, so look, I don't, I'm not some holy praying for hours and hours and hours, but prayer does, I do find that helpful to stay engaged with God. I find journaling helpful as well. I've got a little book, sometimes I'll just open it up. Not every day, but like, you know, once a week or something, I'll just write out where I'm at with God. God, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm feeling. Here's what's on my mind. Just share that with God. Just offer that to him. Again, just a way that I find helpful to stay engaged with God. I also find really helpful um, having worship music on when I'm cleaning the kitchen. Yes, I do clean the kitchen. Yes, quite regularly. And I'm very thorough with it. Um, but just having some worship music on, just, you know, I can just let that soak into me, those words, listen to the words. I also find having a Sabbath, a day off, really helpful. My day off is not on Sunday because Sunday is the busiest day for me. But normally a Friday night and a Saturday morning up to the afternoon is my Sabbath. The thing that I most find helpful on my Sabbath is to turn my phone off. The longer that phone is off, the more <laughs> I have space to actually reconnect with God. I also fast occasionally, although I haven't for a while, so don't for one moment think I'm super holy, but I really do find 24-hour fasts really helpful for connecting with God. Also meditating on bits of the Bible occasionally. Again, I haven't done it for a while, but that really helps me when I do. Also, what I find really helps me engage with God is community group. Um, 
Like, if you think of community group, and I'm describing my own community group here, we eat together, then we study the Bible for sort of 40 minutes or so, and then we pray for 15, 20 minutes, and then just chat. And I think it's probably one of the most biblical things we do in church. Think what Jesus did. He ate with people, he did some teaching, prayer, and chatted with people and fellowship. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And I'll be honest with you, there are so many times when it comes to community group, and it gets to half six on a Wednesday evening, and I'm like... I do not want to go to community group. I know I'm the church leader and I know I should go, but I do not want to go. It's raining and it is dark and it is cold and there's something good on TV. I don't want to go. But when I do, I always come away feeling refreshed, challenged, helped, always blessed by by doing that. And the final thing that helps me is just silence. You know, that verse in the Bible, be still and know that I am God. It's the be still, just be still. And in our world, being still is not so easy. Just to, just to stop and know that God is God. That's what helps me stay engaged with God. You might have other things that help you, but those are the things that help me. Now, how do we stay engaged with the world around us? Okay, so that's staying engaged with God. How do we stay engaged with the world around us? Well, I mean, I'm not sure how, totally sure how to put this, but uh, you need to be where you are. Now, you might think, okay, well, that's that's a bit nonsensical. You need to be where you are. You you can live in a place in your head somewhere else. You know, I know a couple once lived in Manchester. Uh, All their friends lived in another city, and they were always going to visit them every weekend, always thinking about them, always phoning them up. Physically, they were in this city. Emotionally and mentally, they were in another city, okay? They were in another place. Be where you are. Even if you know things are going to change soon, Be where you are, where God has rooted you, where he has sown you. Stay engaged in that place absolutely until the final day that you leave that place, wherever you're going, okay? And you know, I think think often as Christians, there can be things in life that tempt us to retreat. You know, I I suppose I'm, I'm, again, I'm not totally sure how to put this, so I hope it comes across right. But you know, I, I know for me, I can, I can look at our area and I can see one of those really loud motorbikes that go past. You know, the guys with the big hats on along our road. And I think, our, our area's going downhill, you know. <laughs> or you see one of those big Mercedes driving down, you think, I bet you he's a drug dealer. Bet you he's a drug dealer. <laughs> That's the only way those big swanky Mercedes are around our area, the drug dealer. And you look at your and you think, oh, sorry, he's going downhill. And you think, you know what? We need to get out of here because this, 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 I, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't, my kids growing up at this place. This is, and there's, there's a fear that causes us to retreat. Now, you know, we can move house for loads of different reasons. So I have, there's nothing against moving house. But I think sometimes if we analyze ourselves, sometimes the reason we move is fear. And, and we shouldn't be retreating and moving because of it. It shouldn't be our motivation. Because as Christians, we're people of faith, not fear. We're to be the, the difference in society. I mean, society is completely anxious about everything. But for us to be people of faith and not fear. You know, my sister and her, uh, and her husband, they live in Northern Ireland in the most beautiful, idyllic countryside location you can ever imagine. It is Little House on the Prairie. I mean, their house, massive farmhouse, green fields all around. And we visited there over the summer and we were like Elizabeth this is so nice and the thing is Northern Irish house prices are so low we could sell our house and buy a farmhouse in Northern Ireland I mean we we have land and everything and then we're just oh wow that'd be so cool wouldn't it and and then we catch ourselves you know nah there's need in Manchester you know 
there's brokenness. So easy to retreat in green fields. You know, cows aren't going to cause you any problems. But we need to be where the problems are. We need to be where there's issues. We need to be where there's darkness, you know? What does it say in the Bible? Um, you know, we're, we're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no good. We all believe that. But if the salt all decides to move to the suburbs of the countryside, it's not much good there either, is it? You know, we've got to stay where we are. We are useful as Christians when we are close to brokenness, not far from it. We are useful as Christians when we are close to brokenness, not far from it. So here's some things I think are helpful when it comes to staying engaged with the world. First thing, talk to your neighbors, okay? Now, I have this thing where I bring Max to school. I bring Max to school most mornings, about half eight, bring him to school. And then when I'm coming back from school, all my neighbors are walking back at the same time. And I have this thing where one of my neighbors will be walking in front of me. I'm like, I can't be bothered talking to them. So I walk a bit slower so I don't have to pass them. You know, I don't know if you ever had that. And I'm like, no, I I should actually be pushing out and talking to my neighbors, engaging with them, asking them questions, being proactive. Also, another thing we can do in terms of engaging with the world real simply is to eat with people who aren't believers. Eat with people who aren't believers. You know, we've, we've had our neighbors over for dinner from one side. We haven't, and we haven't had our neighbors from our other side over. I think it's because they're Muslims and we're quite nervous about, you know, halal and that whole kind of thing. But I think, you know what, we just got to push through that and say, look... We've, we've Googled some stuff, it's halal, you're fine. I think, you know, I think we're using that as a bit of excuse, to be honest. You know? And I think also another thing we can do to engage with the world is go for faith conversations. Not to be embarrassed to just say to someone, hey, look, do you have a faith? Or what do you believe? Or what, you know, what's your belief in life? And we had a, one of Max's school friends, his dad and the, and the little girl from, from his class came over last week and um, yeah, we just, you know, within about 10 minutes, we're chatting about, you know, who Jesus was and stuff. And he was well up for the conversation. It was, it was just a really good conversation. And he went away being like, you know what, Andy, that's some really interesting stuff we've talked about. That's really made me think. But just going for it. Also, I think another thing we can do to engage is to pray for change in our neighborhood. I have a little prayer list that I pray through each day. And there's a bunch of things on there of just things I want to see changed in my neighborhood. And I just keep praying those things until I see them happen. It's interesting, Max, my five-year-old son, he has a, there's this little song they, they learned at school. I think it was at school or nursery, one of them anyway. And he came home singing this song. And it's one of those, you know, absolutely politically correct songs that they teach all the kids and that stuff. But the song is, the, is this. Be the change, change, change. Be the change, change, change. That's it. That just keeps that, that, sing that 20 times. Be the change. Really annoying. <laughs> But I was thinking that there's something in that. As believers, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be the change, not to retreat from it, not to run away, to be the change. I've been praying recently that I want to see more people saved, but I've been quite challenged about, you know, I think God's been saying to me, look, Andy, you want to see more people change? What are you doing differently to see that happen? Have you ever heard heard the phrase, I don't know who, who came up with the quote, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. You've heard that? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And I think God's been challenging me on that. You want to see people safe. Well, you're doing the same things you're doing the whole time. Change something, and then that might see some people saved. So I've been thinking, okay, who do I eat with? Mostly people from church. Maybe we should be pushing out and inviting other people from church. Is there something I could do in my community, like a Christmas event, come over to our house for drinks or whatever? We're just trying to think, what are some things we could do to engage more with 
uh, our world. And I think finally on this one, I think engaging with the world is also about trying to understand the issues our society is grappling with. You know, so we can talk to people about this and, and share the Christian perspective. So trying to read some good Christian books on, on issues such as gender, homosexuality, anxiety. We are a chronically anxious society. These, understanding the Christian perspective on these is really helpful so that when you do sit down and have a conversation, you've got something you can say on these things. You know, understanding our postmodern society and how truth is something that has to be battled for today. You know, when I was chatting with um, Max's little uh, school, school friend's uh, dad, and, you know, he came telling me, oh, I think Jesus is just a good guy. He's just a good man. He was nice. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, the reason you believe that is because you have been brought up in the postmodern mindset that your truth is good for you and everybody else's truth is fine. But the reality is there's truth or it's not true. One or the other. So Jesus was either a liar if he said the things he did or else he's the son of God. You don't get to choose anything in between. He was like... Andy, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I mean, he thought I was the wisest thing ever, but I mean, that's just general kind of, yeah, you read a little bit, you understand a little bit. So, so that's, that's, how, that's how we engage our world. Ultimately, what do we want to see? We want to see people come to know the Lord. We want to see people from our community get saved. The church father, uh, St. Augustine in the fourth century said this about this parable. He said, those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. And that is what we want to see. Weeds, weeds turning into wheat. That's what we want to see. And I think and a very important part of it is staying engaged. Point two, much shorter, I promise, is look to the harvest. Look forward to the harvest. Now we've got another picture. Picture of me. This is me on one of my dad's little tractors. This is our farm, the one that I grew up on about seven years ago. I went home for a week to help my dad with the harvest. Now, the harvest is every October. The whole of October, my dad has to harvest three to 400 tons of apples. And he gets a load of Eastern Europeans. He flies them over, 15 or 20 of them. They pick the apples, and we do it all in one month. It is so much hustle and bustle around the farm, so much activity. My dad works 15-hour days for an entire month. I, it was one bit of farming that I actually really loved, that whole harvest time. And then you get to the end of October, my dad's just getting to that point, and all those tons of apples, they're in the barn, they're stored away, and my dad puts his feet up and he rests, and he's like, yes. It's that, it's, honestly, you see, you see my dad at this time of the year, it's like the picture of satisfaction. He's just like, yes, I am done. I have finished. And you know, one day the Lord is going to return and there's going to be a harvest. Okay, there's going to be a harvest. Those who follow the Lord are going to go and be with him in heaven. We're going to be harvested into God's house. And I love the way it's put there at the end of the, of the passage at the very last verse. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Isn't that a lovely picture? You know, we're going to shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That's the hope we have. And then the other thing we have here is that those who are opposed to him are going to be eternally separated from him, which is incredibly sad, incredibly sad. Now, we can look at this and be like, uh, is the images here about blazing fire and gnashing of teeth, is this metaphorical or is it not? I think we can all agree that it's not going to be good, okay? I think that is not going to be good. And I think with heaven and hell, I mean, it's really hard for us to get our heads around heaven and hell. 
because we've nothing to compare it to. Absolutely nothing comes close. Like, I think the easiest way to get our heads around heaven and hell is if you, think, if you imagine this world without anything good in it, anything good in it. So like no joy, no happiness, no love, no friendship, no, you know, seeing a nice sunshine in the morning, eating a lovely meal, all the things that bring joy, anything, all of that removed, okay, that's probably the, the, the closest picture you'll get of what hell is like. There's nothing of God. There's nothing of God's gifts or his goodness there, okay? Now, on the other hand, if you want to imagine what heaven looks like, imagine this world with everything bad removed. Now, everything good is still there, but everything bad is removed, okay? So no depression, no anxiety, no sickness, no ill health, no bullying, no, I don't know, the list goes on and on. Everything gone, and God is there in the midst. We don't need to pray. We don't need to go to church because he's right there. And we have that for eternity. That is what the closest picture we get to what heaven is like. And that's what's going to happen when God's harvest come. We're going to get harvested to that place. And that is just phenomenal. I mean, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And that's why sometimes when I, I get to the end of services, I say, oh, we're going to go to heaven. Isn't that exciting? And everyone looks at me kind of like, yeah. But there's that difficulty of like, ah, it's hard to imagine what it's like, but it is going to be absolutely amazing. And you know, the reality is if it wasn't for Jesus, in this story, we'd all be weeds, you know, because we all have sin and evil inside of us. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn says that the line between good and evil goes right through every human heart. There's sin and evil inside all of us. And Jesus came to die on the cross to take that sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a, have a, a friendship with God. We could be welcomed into his family. We could have a future. There's a lot of Fs there. We could have a future with him forever in heaven. And that's the great hope we have. That's good, isn't it? It is good. Amen. Absolutely. Now, one final little bit of chat about wheat and weeds before we finish. Can you deal with one tiny little bit more? Yes. Okay, no one's saying no. They're all being very polite. The people who don't want it, they're just like, I'm not going to say anything. Um, But interestingly, wheat, when it matures, when it grows to its full height, the head on the top of the wheat, I think we have a picture, it it bends, it it droops over under the, the weight of the grain in the head. Okay? And one of the ways you can tell the difference between the the wheat and the weed, the darnel, is that the, the weed stays bolt upright. It doesn't, it doesn't droop at all. And there's something just significant, I think, in the posture of the wheat and the weeds. You know? I think there's something. It describes the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Unbeliever, you know, proud, upright, I'll trust in myself. Believer actually submits to God, bows to him in worship. There's, there's something of uh, just a, a, quite a nice little picture of, of, of the difference between believers and unbelievers. In fact, the, the original Greek word for worship, proskuneo, means to bow in reverence. And, and I think for me, that's what I want the posture of our hearts to be as we leave here. Bowing in reverence to our Lord. Bowing in reverence to him. Just like wheat bows when it gets to full maturity.